0: Welcome to the Preacher Girl podcast. I'm Diane Wright, and today's talk was originally shared at St. John's Unitarian Church in Cincinnati on July 14, 2013. The children's story that morning was The Rabbi's Gift. Long ago, in a beautiful valley with a beautiful forest, there was a monastery. Only five monks remained in the monastery. Their order was dying. They had become very, very bitter and sad, and they would sit around and say, What should we do? How can we make sure that this monastery doesn't crumble and fall apart? They knew that a rabbi lived just through the forest, but they'd never spoken to him. One day, one of the monks said, maybe he would have an idea about what we can do to save the monastery. And he made his way through the forest and he had lunch with the rabbi. And he said, nobody wants to come to the monastery. The young people are no longer interested. And the rabbi said, tell me about it. Nobody's coming to the synagogue. And they both cried about the state of the world. At the end of the lunch, the monk said, do you have any words of wisdom for us about what we can do to keep the monastery alive? And the rabbi said, no, sadly, I don't. All I can tell you is that I know one of you is the Messiah. The monk returned to the monastery and the four other monks sat him down and said, what did the rabbi say? And the monk said, I don't really understand what he said. He didn't have any words of wisdom for us. All he said was, one of us is the Messiah. Well, in the days and weeks that followed, each monk thought about these words from the rabbi and they thought, what if this man across the table from me is the messiah? And it made each of them treat each other with more respect and more reverence. And when they thought, what if I'm the messiah? It made each of them treat everyone with even more reverence and respect. Pretty soon, the whole atmosphere of the monastery had changed it glowed with joy and people who were traveling through the beautiful valley and forest would stop and look at the beautiful monastery and they could feel something was special there and young men who came through often decided to stay so the monastery came alive and grew and grew thanks to the rabbi's gift the monastery thrived. There are two readings. The first reading comes from Leonard Cohen in his book, Beautiful Losers. What is a saint? A saint is someone who has achieved a remote human possibility. It is impossible to say what that possibility is. I think it has something to do with the energy of love. Contact with this energy results in a kind of balance in the chaos of existence. A saint does not dissolve the chaos. If he did, the world would have changed long ago. I do not think that a saint dissolves the chaos even for himself, for there is something arrogant and warlike in the notion of a man setting the universe in order. It is a kind of balance that is his glory. He rides the drifts like an escaped ski. His course is a caress of the hill. His track is a drawing of the snow in a moment of its particular arrangement with wind and rock. Something in him so loves the world that he gives himself to the laws of gravity and chance. The second reading comes from Barbara Brown Taylor in her book An Altar in the World. If you do not start choosing to get lost in some fairly low risk ways, then how will you ever manage when one of life's big winds knocks you clean off your course? In my life, I have lost my way more times than I can count. I have set out to be married and ended up divorced. I have set out to be healthy and ended up sick. I have set out to live in New England and ended up in Georgia. While none of these displacements was pleasant at first, I would not give a single one of them back. I have found things while I was lost that I might never have discovered if I had stayed on the path. I have decided to stop fighting the prospect of getting lost and engage it as a spiritual practice instead. July 14th is the feast day of St. Kateri Ticacuita. And in fact, in 2013, it's the saint's first feast day since the Pope canonized her and she became a saint just months ago in October of 2012. So I wanted to talk a little bit about St. Kateri Ticacuita. about my own story of finding out about her in the spring of 2013. But the roots of my story go way back. Some of you already know that I was born to a couple of unhappy Methodists. My mom and dad are conservative in many ways but in some very specific ways they are rebels to the core. They defied family pressure and decided my sisters and I would not be baptized and would not attend church. This was a conscious decision. All throughout my childhood, I was passionately interested in religion, and when I would ask my father questions about religion, he would always begin his answer with, well, now, honey, don't forget, religion is the cause of the worst wars in history, but here's what I know. Some of you may have shared this unchurchedness. And I realized a long time ago, this background of mine, of course, makes me react differently to certain things than those who have had long, intimate histories with a specific religious tradition or institution. It means, for example, that when I came across a display full of various saints' medals in a bookstore in Yellow Springs... I was enchanted. The stories of the saints resonate with me the same ways the stories of Greek mythology resonate and the stories of the Hindu deities. As the poet Muriel Rukeyser reminds us, the universe is made of stories, not of atoms. In that bookstore, I found the medal for St. Dymphna, the patron saint of those who have mental illness and those who work with people who have mental illness. And so now each year on May 15th, her feast day, I send out her story and her information to all the staff at the large community mental health center where I work. Her story is the story of so many people. The death of a parent, the grief and, unfortunately, violence at the hands of the other parent. The story speaks to many, many people. Maybe you have a saint story of your own. Maybe you or someone in your family buried a St. Joseph statue in the yard, hoping to help the house sell faster. Maybe you know people who pray to St. Anthony to help them when something has been lost. Maybe you have given a friend a St. Christopher medal before they went on a trip. Saints have woven their way beyond the walls of Catholic churches and into popular culture. And this year, St. Kateri Tekakwitha wove her way into my life. I was doing some work in a small town in northern Oklahoma, and I was able to carve out a few hours to go explore the Osage Indian Reservation nearby. I had researched the area, and it turned out, in Pawhuska, the main town of the reservation, there is a cathedral. This cathedral was built in 1915 by the tribe, and they had to ask special permission from the Pope in order to depict Native Americans in the stained glass windows, because that had never been done before. I had contacted the priest before the trip, and he had been very welcoming, and we scheduled a tour for me. So I pulled up in the church parking lot, expecting to meet Father Daigle. And instead, I was treated to a tour given by two women who were members of the tribe, and they proudly told me, deacons in the church because, they explained, even though females are not supposed to have those kinds of leadership roles in the Catholic Church, Father Daigle knows better and appointed several of the strong women leaders of the tribe to be deacons. Well, I spent the next two hours listening to stories of beauty and heartbreak, stories of journeys and miracles, one of the women's grandfathers had been a peyote medicine man and she talked openly about the seamless way many people in the tribe followed both Catholicism and their native traditions. And then we came to the Katteri statue and I had my introduction to St. Kateri Tekakwitha. One of the women told me of her own Cattery statue, a smaller version which she called Traveling Cattery. Traveling Cattery was responsible for multiple miracles and healings. These two women had taken Cattery with them on a youth group trip to the mounds of Missouri, the lands of their ancestors. And it was when they held that statue together, standing on the ancestral land, that they both shared a simultaneous vision of the chief of the tribe, preparing the people to move west. They both cried as they told me how they heard the babies and women crying, how they saw the chief take one last look and then turn toward the setting sun. In Pawhuska, one of the older men of the tribe had become very ill, and traveling cattery had been called upon The woman took the statue and sat vigil for him. This was taking place as the Pope was being asked to take the final steps to make Kateri a saint. And the man said, if God heals me through Kateri's power, I will use my renewed strength and all my wealth to create a shrine for Kateri behind the cathedral. Well, the man recovered and the shrine is beautiful. And there is nothing quite like the sun that shines down on the statue of St. Kateri in Pawhuska, Oklahoma. I drove north from Pawhuska into the Nature Conservancy's tall grass prairie preserve and I got so wrapped up looking at the bison that I took several wrong turns, and by the time I had a cell phone signal again, I was in Kansas. I had never heard of St. Cattery before my wanderings in Oklahoma, but many people knew about her. The quote this morning from Leonard Cohen comes from his 1966 book, Beautiful Losers, which is loosely based on the story of Cattery. Kateri was born in 1656 in what is now upstate New York. She was born to a Mohawk chief and a Roman Catholic Algonquin woman who had been adopted into the tribe after capture. At the age of four, she and her parents and her baby brother all became sick with smallpox and the only one in the family to survive was Tecaquitha. She was scarred by the disease, especially on her face, and the disease had affected her eyesight. We don't know what she was called before that time, but it was after this experience that she was given the name Tekakwitha, which means she who bumps into things. She was raised by her aunt and uncle, and instead of marrying, she chose to convert to Christianity and devote herself to a religious life at a nearby Jesuit settlement. Her baptismal name was Cattery, a derivative of Catherine. At the settlement, she was known for her great kindness, gentleness, and good humor, and for the way she cared for the children and the elderly. Upon her death at the age of 24, witnesses told stories of how her scars miraculously disappeared. Because of her devout nature, the Jesuits created a shrine for her, and over the years, many miracles and healings were attributed to Cattery and to relics from her shrine. In 2012, Pope Benedict canonized her, and she became the first Native American saint. She is the patron saint of ecology and the environment. So what is a saint? Especially for those of us who are Unitarian Universalists. If we look just inside our Unitarian gray hymnal, we declare that the living tradition we share Draws from many sources, including words and deeds of prophetic women and men. For converting to Christianity in her tribe, Tecaquitha was ridiculed, scorned, and even had her life threatened. I'd like you, if you would, to take a moment with me and imagine the little girl, Tecaquitha. There are accounts that her aunt and uncle were not very interested in her, and although the tribe provided adequate care for her, she often kept to herself, and often wore a blanket draped like a hood over her face because she was so embarrassed by her scars. What is the message for us in the story of Kateri, a lost and lonely little girl who found purpose and comfort and became a comfort for others. I keep thinking of Cohen's words about a saint. He rides the drifts like an escaped ski. His course is a caress of the hill. His track is a drawing of the snow in a moment of its particular arrangement with wind and rock. Something in him so loves the world that he gives himself to the laws of gravity and chance. He so loves the world that he gives himself to the laws of gravity and chance. What happens to us when we try to fight the laws of gravity and chance? I had a friend who, when someone would stumble, would say, you can't fight gravity, it's the law. Some of you may have heard of Julianne Kepke, a German-Peruvian woman who, in 1971, was flying with her mother from Lima to Pucallpa in Peru to meet her father, who was doing field work. During the flight, the plane was struck by lightning and came apart. Julianne Stayed strapped in her seat, and the bank of seats somehow protected her, and she landed, the rainforest canopy breaking her fall enough that she survived with fairly minor injuries. You can't fight gravity, but sometimes things get in gravity's way. Lost in thick jungle, she remembered what her father had told her always follow the water. Where the water goes, you will find civilization. So she found a little stream that became a creek that became a river where just a couple of days after the crash, she found a hunter who took her to the nearest settlement. There have been two documentaries made about her ordeal. The story is so compelling to me and helpful For instance, when I'm driving down a rutted gravel road lined with bison, after taking a wrong turn, I can say to myself, I'm in a solid car with plenty of gas and a couple pieces of fry bread. I am not walking along a stream in the Amazon. It's all about perspective. Thoreau said, Not until we are lost, do we begin to understand ourselves? I'm not sure what this says about me, but one of my favorite books is called Death, Daring and Disaster, Search and Rescue in the National Parks. People get lost in our national parks. And it's interesting to me how the reaction of the person determines their future What I mean to say is the ones who stay calm, who stay centered, who are able to accept, okay, I'm lost, let's look around and see what we've got here, are more likely to be okay. The ones who panic, who become overcome by anxiety or anger are more likely not to be okay. In fact, sometimes when lost people die in the wilderness, the recovery team will find there seems to be no specific cause of death. Often this gets called death from exposure. They were not able to see things clearly. They kept fighting and railing against the laws of gravity and chance. How many of us can relate to the words of Barbara Brown Taylor? I have lost my way more times than I can count. I have set out to be married and ended up divorced. I have set out to be healthy and ended up sick. I have set out to live in New England and ended up in Georgia. Perhaps right now you are caught up in your own struggles with gravity and chance. It's a human dilemma because we dream our future. We develop expectations and hopes and goals. It means along the way, we will find ourselves sometimes in Georgia, even though we had planned on New England. We will find ourselves in a job that wasn't the one we had planned to pursue or alone at a time in our lives when we had anticipated being surrounded by a family. Eisenhower said, planning is essential, but plans are useless. And I think he was talking about that balance between thinking ahead, seeking certain goals, and then being able to adjust as the landscape and our lives change in ways we don't anticipate. Wayne Dyer points out, with everything that has happened to you, you can either feel sorry for yourself or treat what has happened as a gift. Everything is either an opportunity to grow or an obstacle to keep you from growing. You get to choose. We get to choose. It's almost cliche to make a big deal about the meaning of Tikkakwitha's name, she who bumps into things. Her eyesight was damaged, but the women in the cathedral spoke of her amazing inner vision. But because her eyesight was poor, she bumped into things. It makes me think of all the times that, because my insight was poor, I bumped into things. Take a moment now to reflect on your own life, where you are right now. Where have you become lost? Where are you struggling against chance and gravity? If you have bumped into unexpected things, unexpected people, unexpected detours, how has that been for you? Are there gifts just waiting for us if we take a breath and truly open our eyes to the place and the people around us? I've been spending some time in Louisville and I can't say that city's name right, Louisville. And those of you who have also been there may have seen the historic marker at Fourth and Walnut downtown Where the trappist monk thomas merton had his epiphany he found himself suddenly awake in a way he had never been before and aware of beauty in the place and the people all around him he later wrote it was as if i suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire, nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are, if only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed, I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. His words make me think of the rabbi saying to the monk, all I know is this, one of you is the Messiah. On this feast day of St. Kateri, may we all look around us with renewed vision. May we all find ways to accept and maybe even embrace the changes brought about in our lives by gravity and chance. May the story of Kateri remind us of the importance of gentleness, kindness, and good humor as we make our way, bumping into things through the world. Amen. For tuning in to the Preacher Girl Podcast. I'm Diane Wright, and you can find more episodes of Preacher Girl on iTunes or at Podbean.com. Special thanks to Sound Engineer Stephen Grant Smith, whose music appears on this podcast. You can find more of his music on Amazon or iTunes. Thank you for listening, and as always, feed your spirit, live in love.